What's up, everything? The Blues didn't lose a game for a whole week, and then they returned from the bye Tuesday in Toronto. The time off appears to have been kind to them, as they went to Ontario and got back-to-back wins. What does this good week mean for the Blues? We'll cover that ahead. We'll also discuss some league news, including the strange Corey Crawford situation, and talk about some good things for the Blues' future near and far. We're headed to infinity and beyond, so let's get started, and let's go Blues! Welcome back, everyone. This is the Two Guys No Cup podcast, the 25th episode of the Two Guys No Cup podcast. We're still here. <laughs> How are you doing tonight, Ian? Very good. Formerly last name redacted co-host. <laughs> We're calling back to the first episode. Uh, Deep cuts. We are here recording our 25th episode after the Blues beat the uh, Ottawa Senators. We also achieved our hundredth follower on Twitter this evening, so it's been a, a windfall night for the two guys. <laughs> We're and pretty the no proud. Cup. Uh, for all of you who are here with us and who have been here with us and are following us on Twitter, we sincerely appreciate it. If you are not following us on Twitter, you can do so at Two Guys No Cup, and uh, we have a lot of fun over there. But we've also been having a lot of fun for once watching the St. Louis Blues. <laughs> a rarity this this season, it uh, seems like. Yeah, we got a week off uh, from the bye. The NHL has started scheduling bye weeks in the season, which I think is a good mm-hmm. thing. They're kind of weirdly unofficial still, where it's just like, oh, we don't have any games for a week. But um, the Blues, uh, we discussed last week whether it came at the right time or the wrong time, and it sure seems like it came at the right time Mm -hmm. um, as they got two wins in the home province of Canada's capital city, uh, where we were tonight. Ontario. How how very (laughs) stilted is that? Uh, Before we talk about the Blues, though, we have some uh, league news to cover. The first and perhaps most interesting Uh, situation as far as the Blues and the Central Division is concerned uh, is the news that broke earlier this week about the uh, Blackhawks goaltender Corey Crawford, who of course has carried, well not single-handedly, but has has backstopped the Blackhawks to their uh, Stanley Cup victories in recent years. Um, Does he have two? They have two, right? Or do they have three? They've got three cups. But he's he only one, got two. two of them. Okay. Antiniemi, oddly enough, has the first. Yes. I read two for him earlier today, and then I was like, but I'm pretty sure they have three. So mm-hmm. now in my head, it's cleared up. Okay, so <laughs> back to the story. Uh, this is kind of a, one of those uh, very typical of hockey where it's an injury story, and therefore it's shrouded in unnecessary mystery. But uh, the Chicago Sun-Times and Elliot Friedman both reported a earlier this week uh, that there is concern about Corey Crawford uh, and that he may be struggling with vertigo-like symptoms for the second time in his career. Um, And the concern is that it's so serious that he may miss the remainder of the season. Uh, For those of you who have been around hockey for a while, you may remember that uh, Nicholas Backstrom, not the uh, Swedish center that scored the game winner against us in Washington, but the 
I assume, Swedish goaltender who used to play for the Minnesota Wild. I believe his career ultimately ended because of similar vertigo-like symptoms. So it's not uh, by any means a light matter, uh, apparently, especially for a goaltender. But the Blackhawks are not addressing this very directly. Crawford has been out since... uh, after the Christmas break, apparently had a, he had a collision on the ice uh, on December 21st against Dallas, but he played out the uh, game, sort of similar to Jake Allen, who did that also happen against Dallas? Was that the Dallas game? I think it was. I think so. I think you're right. Um, but then uh, Crawford came back in the next game on December 23rd and looked terrible and got pulled after three goals in like 13 minutes. Um and he has not played since. Joel Quinville is being very dodgy when he's asked about Crawford's health situation. Uh, but the Chicago Sun-Times says they've had three separate sources tell them uh, that he is struggling with this vertigo and that there's fear that he might miss the rest of the season. Uh, if that's the case, um, Ian, I'll let you discuss this. What do you think it means for the uh, Blackhawks, who currently sit outside of a playoff spot, and have Anton Forsberg and Jeff Glass as their goalie options, who have a combined 27 career starts in the NHL. <laughs> um, if I'm not mistaken, Anton Forsberg used to be part of the Columbus organization and mm-hmm. came over in that sod trade, I think. I believe that's correct, yeah. I mean, those were the Panarin and Sod were the big points, but mm-hmm. I think Forsberg had a junior resume or a resume before being drafted that he was decent. Mm hmm. I would say this season, the Blackhawks are probably screwed. Yeah. Without Crawford, they they look okay, and by Blackhawk standards, that's not great. Yeah. Um, that's a good way of putting it. They might they might have a diamond in the rough, I guess, sort of with Forsberg, but I don't think it will be this season. I don't know anything about Glass and Marty Turco in the net the next year. He got hurt or wasn't playing as well, so they started Corey Crawford behind him, and he took over the position. So I'm sure Anton Forsberg, if he stinks, uh, glass behind him will be just amazing because that <laughs> seems to be exactly how their goalie situation works. There's no killing the Blackhawks. No, there never is. Uh, the truth is, though, jokes aside, that this season has not been great for the Blackhawks mm. regardless of this. this isn't. <laughs> it's not like Crawford left in December and suddenly they tanked. I think Forsberg's actually done okay as his backup. Um, The reality is this is a team that's sort of aging out of their window, I think, pretty reasonably, with especially with Seabrook and Keith and those two giant contracts to Kane and Taves. And they're not going to be able to bail themselves out of all of those, I don't think, no matter how good Bowman is at uh, bailing himself Mm -hmm. out with other... Uh, lesser franchises, um, but this is a big blow for them in a season where they certainly hope to contend. Um, but we've talked about before, uh, and maybe not on the air, but I assume on the air at some point too, about how it seems like, and whether we really did it to them in the year where we took them to Game 7-1, and one, or whether it was just what was happening anyway, it does seem like the Blackhawks have lost a little bit of their bite and a little mm. bit of their edge, especially getting swept last year. So this, I think, is, while it's bad news, I don't think it like derails what would have otherwise been a Stanley Cup team. Agreed. I think it maybe knocks out of the playoffs what would have otherwise been a fringe playoff team. 
the only difference there is that because they're the Blackhawks, because they have Quinville and Taves and all that experience, they're always a threat in the playoffs regardless. Mm-hmm. So um, interesting situation. We'll obviously keep you all up to date as that develops. Uh, since we were talking about the Blackhawks and where they are in the standings, thought it would be a good time to uh, check check in with the NHL standings now that we're clear of the holidays and clear of the first buy. Most of the other buys, I think, are happening this week. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now we have, uh, pretty interestingly, two divisions that are incredibly competitive uh, in the Central Division, our own division, and the Metropolitan Division in the East, and two divisions that are extremely top-heavy in the Atlantic and uh, the Pacific, a little more so the Atlantic than the Pacific. But um, in the Atlantic Division, you have the Lightning with 65 points, the Bruins with 55, excuse me, 60, and the Maple Leafs with 55. And then there is a 12-point drop-off to the Red Wings, who have 43 points. So everyone below the Red Wings, which includes the Panthers, Canadian Senators, and Sabres are basically already out of yeah. playoff contention entirely, <laughs> barring some sort of miraculous run. Um, and then in the Metropolitan Division, which is very competitive, there's only a 12-point difference overall uh, from top to bottom. So whereas in the Atlantic, there's a 12-point drop between third and fifth, fourth, uh, in the Metro, there's a 12-point difference between the Capitals, who lead the division, and the Hurricanes, who trail the division. Uh, the Capitals are in the lead with 60 points. Um they are followed, as we all predicted, by the Devils with 56, <laughs> who uh, don't seem to be going away. Um, the Black Blue Jackets have 55 points, the Rangers 53, and the Penguins are currently on the fringe of uh, the eighth playoff spot with 51 points, and the Flyers and Islanders are nipping at their heels with 50 points. So the Metro's set up, I think, to be the... Uh, obviously, there's going to be five teams out of that division mm-hmm. and three out of the Atlantic, as I think is likely to happen with the Central uh, and the Pacific. Uh, but that's setting out to be a really interesting division for those last few spots, and I wouldn't sleep on either the Islanders or the Flyers to get hot at the right time and maybe push. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the Eastern Conference? Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think the you're right. The Islanders and Flyers, hopefully, I'm hoping, will be able to knock Pittsburgh out of a spot. Maybe That'd even be so great. Yeah, maybe even the Rangers, because I'm kind of tired of them being there. <laughs> I mean, they don't do anything ever, so it's kind of boring. Wouldn't it be so gross if the Penguins and Blackhawks, let's talk about a dream scenario mm-hmm. where they both miss the playoffs, and then the Rangers somehow won it all that year? They'd just be like, oh, yuck. Actually, I had or the Bruins. Oh, yeah, boy. <laughs> that was my thought the other day. I with said, David Backus. I said, yeah, if the Penguins and the Blackhawks don't make the playoffs, either the Kings or the Bruins will now win the Stanley Cup and we'll just repeat history over Probably. and over. Yep. Time is just a circle, folks. <laughs> um, it'll be the Bruins and then they'll uh, re kick off. The whole <laughs> <cycle>. <laughs> it's real gross. <laughs> it's an interesting. Lineup they have there, like you said, the Metro probably ends up taking both of the wild card spots with Atlantic only getting their top three teams in. Yeah, and just from, just to clarify real quick, excuse me, there's a seven point gap between the Islanders who are currently second, mm-hmm. the second team out of the playoffs, and the Red Wings who are at 43 points and would be the third team out of the playoffs. Well, yeah. technically, actually, no, the Hurricanes are the third team out of the playoffs, but. I was just going to say that um, 
I don't see the Atlantic other than Tampa being a threat. I think it's a random team from the Caps in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals against mm-hmm. the Lightning. Yeah. So you can kind of roll the dice. Yeah, I agree. Um, that'll be interesting to monitor. Uh, that's definitely one, though, where I think we talked about it, how at Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. for the most part, you know who the playoff teams are. Um, I think six at the least of those teams are pretty much set in stone at this point, mm-hmm. with only the Rangers and Penguins being in any real danger of falling out. I mean, I know the Blue Jackets are only five points ahead, but it's just that thing where five points is harder and harder to make Mm -hmm. up the later in the year you get. Uh, Moving to the Eastern Conference, we talked about the Pacific Division uh, being a little less competitive. Uh, They have five teams that are all bundled pretty tightly together. Uh, The Golden Knights are well ahead of the pack with uh, 63 points. Um as, again, we all predicted. It's kind of cool. It would be just so amazing if the Golden Knights somehow caught the Lightning for the President's Trophy. Currently, the Lightning have 65 points uh, with 45 games played, and the Golden Knights have 63 with 44. So it's possible. They're neck and neck right now. If it makes any difference, I believe tonight they actually beat the Lightning, and I think in their only other meeting this season earlier, they beat the Lightning. Nice. That's awesome. Um... The Golden Knights are just I, like a feel-good story around hockey, I think. It's one of those cool situations where because literally every fan of every other team has like a player on that yeah. team, you know, almost. Uh, it's a real, it's just a cool situation. Uh, but they're way out ahead of that division, and then there's a little bit of a log jam for uh, what looks like it may be only three other, only two other playoff positions, but could be three. Uh, the Sharks and Flames are tied at 54. Uh, the Kings are at 53, and the Ducks are at 51. And then there's an eight-point drop-off to the Oilers, Canucks, and then a chasm to <laughs> the Coyotes. Uh, meanwhile, in our division, the Jets are in the lead with 59 points. But despite having had the bye, the Blues are tied uh, technically after tonight's win with 59 points. So they have two less games played, or two more games played than the Jets. Um the Predators, who have an absurdly low 43 games played, stand to probably win this division just on that fact alone. The mm-hmm. fact that they have five games in hand on us, which I don't know how that's possible, that the scheduling is that bad. Um, but I'm sure the bye week factor is in there, too. Um, they have 58 points, and then the Stars have 56, and then there's a mini drop-off to the Wild at 53, Avalanche 51, and Blackhawks at 50. So nine points separate the Blackhawks and Jets, as much as we talked about the Blackhawks being worse this year and being probably out of it. I mean, they really realistically are without Crawford, but still uh, just an incredibly uh, potent and uh, competitive division that the Blues find themselves in in the Central and uh, the reality is that we'd have to beat two of those teams yeah. to even get to the conference That's finals. That's pretty scary. So, um, it's weird to see a team like Colorado right now, who you said is, yeah, 51 points, is only two points back of a wild card spot, mm-hmm. has won seven games in a row. Oh, yeah. And they're streaking real hard towards the rest of the rest of the pack up there. And same with Calgary has won seven in a row. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of teams um, pushing closer and closer together. I know the league loves parity. Yeah. It's a fun thing for a playoff race. Sometimes it gets a little agitating because it makes me kind of not care until the very mm-hmm. end because that's when it matters. I agree. Um, but I think you're right. It's 
it's going to be interesting to see us play probably Nashville or the Jets. I'd love to win the division because I think it'd be kind of neat for us to draw maybe a wild card, maybe get a a Ducks or you know someone from the Pacific Mm -hmm. just to see what we look like. Because as of right now, our Nashville and Jets um, record is not looking overly great. No, it's not. Um, It would be cool just looking at the West as a whole. You could see a really fresh lineup if it ended up being like the Jets, the Blues, the Preds, the Stars, the Avs, and Mm -hmm. then the Knights, Sharks, and Flames, which is a realistic scenario right now. Um, Keep the Kings and Ducks and Oilers and out of it and the Blackhawks and the Wild. Mm. That'd be kind of cool. So we wanted to check in there just because it had been a while since we'd done so. Uh, With that done and dusted, (laughs) as they say, uh, (laughs) there's a little bit of Blues news to discuss um, just two kind of injury updates. Jaden Schwartz has begun skating, which I kind of still expected to hear like a crowd cheering behind me, <laughs> even though we're in our, <laughs> our studio alone. Um, Schwartz has been out of action since December 9th uh, in Detroit. Uh, he began skating five weeks after his injury, which was this week. Uh, he was initially set to be reevaluated after six weeks, so I would say he's right on schedule. He did not make the road trip with the team, but the road trip just wrapped up, so that's not a surprise. Uh, Yo says, we still have to wait and see. He's only had a couple of skates, which is the um, number he's <laughs> supposed to have. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, obviously, we want him back as quick as possible, but we don't want to put him in a bad position. Um, but you can, I would say, expect to see Schwartz certainly by the end of the month, um, I would think. Yeah. Uh, Arizona, Ottawa, Colorado, Montreal coming up. Um, I would say maybe that Colorado game as a possible yeah. date for him to come back. I just want to be super conservative and say, I don't know who we play after that Montreal game, but I was going to say whoever first plays that February. Thursday. Yeah, first game February. That's certainly possible. Um, either way, he's close. Yeah. And that's good news. Uh, speaking of fairly close, Zach Sanford also began skating recently. Um, I have a few less details on him. Uh, but he is supposedly on track for his February, originally slated February return uh, from a shoulder injury, was it, with him? And uh, I heard an interview with Doug Armstrong recently where he talked about having expected Samford to be a serious part of the group of nine, as he likes to say. So (laughs) if they get Samford back, then it will be interesting to see how he fits into that role with the team that's developed, uh, especially with... Guys like Tage Thompson, um, who have you know kind of earned roles on the team, uh, but more bodies is good overall. Yeah. So uh, another thing we wanted to talk about real quickly. Um, I'm sorry for dominating the airwaves here, but uh, the uh, Athletic and Corey Pronman released a rank of uh, the top 50 prospects currently in the NHL, and the Blues scored. Uh, very well. I don't think you'll be surprised by the three Blues names that he included on the list. Um, but uh, they were, of course, Quim Costin, Jordan Cairo, and Robert Thomas. Uh, for Quim Costin, he put him third of those of that group at 29. Uh, Costin's 18. He is 6'3 and 196 pounds, so he's obviously got a frame to fill out a little mm-hmm. bit. 
Um, but he says of Costin, Costin's draft season was derailed by injuries, but he's looked quite good this season. He had an excellent training camp with the Blues, has been fine, albeit not great, in the AHL, and had an excellent World Juniors. The thing to get excited about, the things to get excited about, are obvious. He's a big, strong winger with skill who not only can dangle, but shows the quality offensive instincts to make plays around him at high speeds and score too. I worry about his foot speed and his defensive play, and there's a small question in my brain about high end his skill about how high-end his skill is. But overall, I think he's shown why there was such optimism for him at one point. Uh, what do you make of those comments for Costin? Is it about what you would have expected? or Yeah, I'd say those are how I would like the fan base to feel. He's got a high upside. Um, I'd almost say, from what I've seen and what I think I've heard people say, maybe like a Yaskin with a boatload more skill. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you're going to get... I don't think he's going to be a world beater. And maybe that's just me being real conservative about it. But as much as people want to call him up, and maybe they can this year, um, I see people already being like, well, when he's on the first line with Tarasenko or something like that. And I'm like, I don't think so. If he turns out to be a really good, like, I'll say, like, second line, third line guy, Mm -hmm. then get you, like, 20-ish goals on a season or whatever while being a power forward... I think that's great. I think sometimes you have to focus more on what he can do aside from scoring. Like, that body is enough to scare people. That's enough to hit people. That's enough to create turnovers. That's something you might want to focus on more than thinking he's going to be this guy that sets the world on fire scoring-wise. I agree. I think think when... He was drafted. Uh, we we were obviously excited, you oh, and I, uh, and still are. I'm not trying to pour rain on the parade, but I think a lot of people heard, you know, Russian who could have been drafted top five other than injuries, and they immediately kind of went Alex Ovechkin, Vladimir Tarasenko. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not the sniper that either of those guys are, and I don't expect him to become that. Uh, but he does have the physicality of Ovechkin, um, and, you know, if you think of guys like David Backus, honestly, mm-hmm. Jason Pominville, maybe um, Kyle Palmieri, who you mentioned earlier, I think off the air, just mm-hmm. in another totally different <laughs> thing. Uh, talk about just really impactful top six mm. power forwards. I think that's his ceiling. Maybe even, you know, a cane without a little bit of the yeah. shooting. Um Brian Little. Yeah. I could name a lot of big bodies, but you get the yeah. idea. Big I, body guys who aren't afraid to lay lay in the body. I think it's something you can see. We even, even Max Pacioretty. Then I'm that's done. That's, yes. <laughs> I, say, I think he's a guy you could see this team kind of needs maybe moving forward. Yeah. Some of our bigger skilled guys are a little bit older mm-hmm. and are going to be, I mean, they're already pretty slow, but are going to yeah. be retiring or moving on. We kind of need a big guy who can score in the lineup. I know we're moving to a faster uh, hockey or faster NHL, but I think there's still room for a guy like this. I think it will be all the more room for those guys if they have the skill Mm -hmm, and skate speed to match. And as we're going to talk about in a minute, we are a team kind of caught in transition between size (laughs) and speed, so uh, I think he'll fit in there well. Um, Jordan Cairo maybe surprisingly was ranked uh, next of the three remaining of the two remaining guys uh, he is currently 19 so he's just ancient he's <laughs> uh, six feet tall at 185 pounds and that's a prob- probably about where he'll be yeah. um, 
he says, Corey Promen says, Cairo has been excellent this season in the OHL, even getting some looks for Canada's Olympic team, although he ultimately wasn't invited. He has dynamic qualities in this game. He's a great skater and puck handler who can push the pace and make highlight reel rushes. Cairo's decision-making used to worry me, but he's getting better in that regard, and his playmaking has impressed me more recently. He's averaged about an assist per game in the last two years. His shot is solid as well. His play off the puck can still be better, particularly physically, but with a puck, he can change a shift. Um, what do you think about those comments about Kyrie? I think that's pretty much spot on what I thought. It's good to hear that he's doing better with puck decisions. Mm-hmm. I know that's that's almost something you hear a lot. The two things you hear a lot from like uh, young skilled forwards is they're not great defensively, and they maybe try and make risky, you know, risky decisions, or they think they see something on the ice that's not there for him. I'm really excited for him, actually, more than anything, kind of going on that same route we went with Costin. Is, um, but I think Jordan Cairo gets a lot of praise for his skating ability, for mm-hmm. his edge work, how fast he is. I think, sort of like we were saying, we could use that on this team. We've got a fast yeah. team, but I think he's supposed to be, I don't know, top five in that draft class, if not maybe number one mm-hmm. in skating ability. And that'd be kind of cool to see on someone that can also score. No mm-hmm. offense, Magnus Payarvi, the guy's fast, but uh, you most certainly can't put in the back of the net. So yeah. I'd be interested. I'd be interested to see skill married with speed on this team. Yeah, it's kind of interesting when you look at um, kind of the typical, you know, if you will, EA NHL eighteen definitions of players. There's mm-hmm. like playmaker, power forward, sniper, grinder, yeah, two way forward, and. We kind of have one of each, and you know we've got the power forward in Coast and the kind of playmaker um, in Cairo. Kind of walks the sniper line a little bit, and then yeah. the really just solid two way forward, uh, sulky type candidate in Robert Thomas, who we're about to talk about. Um, and I think it's cool that they're not all filling one role. Um, maybe it's you know maybe it's challenging in that they're not. You know, it's harder to consider trading any of them yeah. or anything like that because they all bring a unique thing. Uh, but it's nice to already have guys in place like Schwartz, like Shin, like Tarasenko. Um, you're not necessarily expecting any of these guys to come in and just change the game mm-hmm. from the hop. Uh, but it is cool that they have different makeups. Um, and then finally, Robert Thomas, who is 18 years old, six feet tall, and 192 pounds, and was drafted. 20th overall yep. this year um, to little fanfare, honestly, at the time, <laughs> currently sits at an impressive number six in Corey Pronman's rankings. And it's kind of funny when I originally mentioned this to you, you said, and I, I don't disagree mm-hmm. with you necessarily, but you kind of joked about it feels like I wanted him to be higher. Like yeah. we kind of gotten greedy. Uh, but when you think about the fact that this guy was drafted at 20th and what was considered to be a, a really relatively weak mm-hmm. draft and one of those drafts where it's difficult to sort out the really high end talent, um, that's a yeah. just an impressive climb. And as I mentioned to you, I don't know if he even would have been ranked on this list you know, if he'd done mm-hmm. it at the start of the season. And if he was, you'd think 40s, low, or, you know, high 30s. Yeah. Well, not only did we pick him at 20, and he's listed here as number six prospect, you know, not in the NHL currently. Mm-hmm. That's across all prospects drafted from right. this year, yeah. uh, 2016, 2015. So that's like a huge, I mean, that's a huge number. That's really high up for someone that got drafted just this year, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and... 
Uh, Promman's description of him, kind of along those lines, is Thomas's development has been shooting upwards at a rocket speed the past few years, as he is now clearly one of the best players in his age group. He's a complete player who can drive. T- uh, drive play as a center and make high-level offensive plays. He's such an intelligent forward who sees the ice very well and understands how to use his skill and speed to create space and make plays. Every game this season I've watched Thomas, I don't remember a bad outing. He shows you flashes of being a dynamic player while staying committed defensively. Thomas has the potential to be an important center for the Blues. Anyone that's a center is going <laughs> to yeah. be an important center yeah, for this true. team. Um, I just think the reality is with um, Thomas, you don't want to pump the tires too much necessarily and just say, well, this guy is our yeah, Sydney don't shoot Crosby the or whatever. But we've never had this good a shot at the number one center yeah. type player. Well, like I mentioned, I think the last time we drafted a center that was going to be a center that we kept at center that had any amount of skill at the position, um, I want to say it was Patrick Berglund. And I don't even think they talked about him like this by any means. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's been that long for a high-profile center of any kind for us to even be thinking about it like this. So it's been a while. Yeah, agreed. Um, Just, it's unreal how quickly he's grown. And my only challenge now is trying to keep expectations down. Yeah, me too. (laughs) You know, not just saying, oh, we've got Connor McDavid in a year and a half, you know. When he loses his first draw in the (laughs) NHL, you go, oh, this guy's a bust. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, But uh, just a really great position um, for the Blues to be in. You can find uh, that article at The Athletic um, and many other amazing articles. I cannot heartily recommend a subscription enough uh, and believe it or not, they're not paying us. <laughs> I'm just going to say, we've um, got our first sponsor. For those of you who, like me, would be listening to this uh, and thinking, well, who the heck was the rest of the list? I'm not going to do the rest of the list. Starting uh, but, at 100. <laughs> top five, uh, I will just run through really quick. Henrik Borgstrom is number five. He's a center in the Florida organization. To your point about Thomas, he was drafted 23rd last year oh, wow. in 2016. <laughs> He's currently 6th. Three and 185 pounds at 20 years old. Um, the next one is Martin Nekas or Nikas, uh, who is the center for Carolina. He was drafted 12th overall this year, 1961, 168 pounds. Um, the gross thing is that the next two are both in our division. Um, but <laughs> number course. three is uh, Miro Heiskanen, who is a defender for Dallas. He was the third overall pick this year. He's so three. when you compare that to 20th, <laughs> overall Mm -hmm. and number six it's a pretty good uh jump he is six foot and has 170 pounds on him um and he's been one of the top finished defensemen lately kind of an offensive defenseman i think uh eli ellie or eli uh tolvanen is a i'm thinking finnish possibly or khl it says Mm -hmm. um left wing for the predators he is 18 years old he is five foot ten inches tall and 181 pounds, and he was drafted uh, in the uh, first round at 30th this year, so he was their 30th pick, so that's gross. Mm-hmm. Imagine if he'd fallen to us, oh, and we'd picked him instead of that, that was the one other guy, I'm not a scout by any means, uh-huh. but just reading other Blues fans, what people thought, that was the one, the only other guy outside of Costin mm-hmm. that I kind of really wanted yeah. at, that, at that time when we got that, I guess we got the pick right before then, uh-huh. but yeah. 
It was a little too bad. Maybe no, we could we had the 31st, so we oh, had that's the pick right. behind that. Yeah. If we could have just got that 30th pick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then number one uh, will be no, no surprise for those of you who uh, followed the um, World Juniors very closely, <laughs> uh, is Buffalo's Casey Middlestat, who was picked eighth overall this year uh and is playing for university of minnesota right now he's 6'1 201 pounds he's a center and he has all the makings to be a star in this league and thank god because that team needs it <laughs> i was just gonna say hopefully he doesn't drown in that dumpster fire yeah and just to be clear just to be clear pronman says no no current AH, nhl players um are on the list are considered so players like uh, Erickson Eck in Minnesota and Daniel Sprong in um, Pittsburgh are and other players are not currently considered. So yeah. if you expected other people higher than Middlestat, that is why they're not there. Uh, Connor McDavid's a pretty good prospect <laughs> too, but they don't get to count him. Um, and then the last Pete. Well, there's more Blues news to cover. There's so much more. Um, <laughs> just to uh, quickly mention that a former Blues owner, Mike Shanahan, passed away this Monday. Uh, he was 78 years old. Um, he led the Blues ownership group from 1986 to 1991, which was the year I was born. Were you a 90? You were probably a 90, yep. right? Uh, he stayed on as chairman through the mid-90s. Um, Bruce Affleck, former Blues player, said, Mike just had that charisma that certain people have. People felt just fell in love with Mike Shanahan. He got St. Louis to buy in, both corporately and with the blue-collar guy. It was a great mix. Uh, the Blues will be wearing Mike Shanahan... Uh, patches on their helmet for the remainder of the season in honor of him. Um, not a guy that I knew a lot about, just confessing mm-hmm. my own youth and ignorance, but um, sad to see a great leader in the Blues organization he, pass away. He may have come in just after this happened, but maybe it was right around the same time, but the little scare where the Blues were kind of in trouble and being sold and they might mm-hmm. turn into the Saskatoon Blues and move up to Saskatchewan. So I think supposedly, I don't know for sure, that he had a, a small part to play in keeping them here. Nice. I'm glad to hear it. So mm-hmm. good for him. Um, <laughs> we were asked uh, last week, and we promised that we would uh, deliver to do a roster projection for this team uh, for the uh, three years in the future or so um, by, I believe it was uh, Creative Funny Name on uh, Reddit, um, who asked us to do that, and we told him we, we would this year, uh, so um, we are about to. But before, <laughs> before we do that, uh, there's just something I wanted to bring up which is that The Athletic did an article. You notice how we're referencing them again. Uh, this They're one, so good, folks. They really are. This one is uh, actually unlocked, I believe, so you uh, plebeians who don't subscribe <laughs> uh, can access it as well. Um, it is by James Myrtle, who is the chief editor, I think, of mm-hmm. The Athletic for Hockey. Um who did a report on the average age of teams and as well as the average height, weight, and draft position. So uh, quickly just tracking where the Blues are uh, on these lists. The average age list, uh, Colorado and Columbus are the two youngest teams at 25. 
Um, and the blues are about, where are they? I've got to find them now. Uh, they're on the lower end, probably about 20th on the list. He didn't number these, and I forgot to count them out. But yeah, <laughs> they're about 20th on the list at uh, 27.8 years on average, which isn't a surprise, and I don't think that's that bad. No. Because when you look at the players that are aging out, it's kind of expected. Um, yeah. And then I will probably be a lot younger in a, two years when we get these guys. Yeah, I'd say we probably drop a whole two years pretty soon. Um, but the average overall of the NHL is 27.1, so we're slightly older than league average, but not by much. Uh, what interested me, though, more than anything is, oh, excuse me, the oldest team is Detroit somehow, even though they're rebuilding, and Ottawa are both 28 and over, as are Anaheim and Los Angeles. Um, the Blues are second in average height, trailing only Winnipeg at 74.1 inches. The Blues are 73.9 inches tall on average, and they are trailed by Dallas, Calgary, Anaheim, and Washington. Uh, the shortest team is Montreal and Tampa Bay. Um, I feel like I knew that about Montreal. They've always been short. I I guess I just think Brandon Gallagher, and then I'm like, yeah, they're short. (laughs) Um, the average height is 73.1 inches or six foot one inches tall uh so we're it's i mean height is on a you know bell curve so (laughs) it's not surprising to see those numbers the blues are above average technically slightly um but second overall and they are also second overall in weight um at 206.6 pounds trailing only dallas and then being trailed by washington and new york and the lightest team by a wide margin is tampa bay and Philadelphia brings up the next slot. Uh, so the average weight is 200.7 pounds. Uh, Myrtle says, Dallas and St. Louis are big. The Lightning are decidedly not, which would make for an interesting <laughs> Stanley Cup final if that's how it works off. Oh, James, thank you. Oh, he's so uh, kind. so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> um, they have a little, he has a little graph of teams by height and weight that's interesting to look at. The uh, Blues are near the top right corner. Uh, which is tallest and heaviest, which is Mm -hmm. not a surprise since we just said they were second in both. And then average draft position uh, is kind of interesting. The Blues are 10th on that list, I believe. Yes, 11th technically, um, with an average draft position of 58.2. Average draft position in the NHL is 64th overall, which is kind of a strange what a weird stat <laughs> um, but uh our point in bringing that up is to mention as we alluded to earlier i think that this is a team that's kind of oddly caught in transition uh when mike yo came in he promised that his goal was to get faster um and i think we are notably faster um certainly in the way we play yeah. if not as much in the personnel yet because he just hasn't had that much of a personnel change um, when we're on our game, we're certainly playing faster and looser than we ever did under Ken Hitchcock. Um, but the reality is when you're still the tallest and second tallest and second heaviest team, the speed's going to trip Just, you up yeah. usually unless you have a whole lot of you know, mag- magical people who are just you know, fast in every way. Um, or you have a lot of guys like Jay Bomeister and Tage Thompson who just take long strides yeah. and keep up <laughs> with people. That's what I was thinking. Um, so it is interesting to talk about how our size and uh, weight needs to change. Uh, so we will look at the team uh, three years from now that we expect to have. And what I learned from this exercise, besides 
uh, realizing that there are players on this team that I literally forget are on this team, <laughs> is that uh, this is a team that um, is in transition, decidedly, uh, still, and I think realistically this is a team that will have to trade people. Um, Never. And not <laughs> not just trade people, because yeah, everybody makes some trades except the Jets, but <laughs> literally will have to make some significant trades to clear out this roster and, and shape it the way they want to. Um, do you want to kick off with what you have your lines as in what would this be, 2020-21 season? Yeah, this is like three years, three years in the future. Uh, I didn't make any trades in mine, or I didn't think of making a trade in mine. So these are all people that are in our, uh, down the pipeline, I guess yeah. you could say. So I still have Schwartz, Shen, and Tarasenko as a top line, because all, they'll all be here, mm-hmm. and that just seems easy. Then I got Kairu, Thomas, and Thompson as a second line mm-hmm. at that point. I guess you'd call it the kid line, but maybe at that point they're a little bit older. Uh, and then, oh God, then I don't know if this third line makes any sense. I mean, it makes sense, but they're all about the age of the Crypt Keeper at this point. You got Steen, Stasny, and Berglund on a third line. I'm already shaking my head that I wrote that down. I don't believe that's going to be true, but I, I'll tell you this. Of those three, Steen, Stasny, and Berglund, one of those people, I guarantee you, will be on this team in three years. I guarantee you. Yeah, we don't have the guts to cut yeah. ties like that. It's going to be Berglund. Anyways. <laughs> um, and then my, have, yeah, my fourth line, I have, uh, I can't remember his first name, Jake, Jack, probably wrong, Musel. Oh, okay. Who's going to be the center of that Is fourth Adam? line. Adam, that you're so right. It had nothing to do with Jays. Thank you. <laughs> Adam Musel. I don't know how I knew that. You're usually the prospect guy. Yeah. But. Um, Dimitri asking on right wing, because he'll be here. I don't know. He's a body. He's good. And then Saboka on left wing for the fourth line. Uh-huh. Uh, that's the plug position. He's either here or he's not. Someone's yeah. in there. Um, and then defense, I actually thought was a little bit easier. Uh, you got Edmondson with Petrangelo. At this point, Bo Meester's gone. You got Dunn with Pareko. And then for my my fun uh, random pick here at the end, not so much random, but just like, ooh, ah, I've got Schmaltz on the right side and then Nico Mikola on the left side, who if you've listened to episodes far long ago, probably in the summer, uh, is a prospect we have that's got a lot of Joel Edmondson and Jay Bomeister qualities mixed together and plays on the left side. All of the worst ones. Yeah, the, just the worst <laughs> ones. Um, um, that's interesting. That's I, an interesting pick. And the ones I have, I don't you have win on. win prize for most interesting <laughs> choice. <laughs> the ones I don't have on here specifically, um, Bomeister, like I mentioned, I don't have Wallman. I don't know. I would just guess he's in a trade at some point. Mm-hmm. I think Dunn's kind of solidified his position there. Um, he could be the on the left side on the third pairing, but I think he's got enough skill that we can kind of pedal him to another team as a second pairing guy. I don't mm. think he sticks as a third pairing. And then uh, no Robbie Fabry, because at that point he'll have no left leg. <laughs> in all honesty, I cannot put that man in this lineup. And you're going to hear this ad nauseum over the summer. Oh, boy, yeah. I cannot put this guy in this lineup until he skates. I'm going to say... 20 games with the Blues, 20 real regular season games, and at no point is he held up for a game, you know, out for a game. We're like, ooh, his knee's kind of bothering him. None of that. 
Yeah. Then I'll move forward with like, oh yeah, we can put him here. He works well with this guy. Until then, he is pretty much, uh, as Doug Armstrong would say, he's like a trade. Uh huh. Because I just Agreed. don't see him on this team currently. I, I, I actually put him in there, but it's you're com- wrong. <laughs> it's a comedy of errors. No, I mean it really yeah. is a comedy of errors. Looking at the trying to do this without factoring in trades because there yeah. almost has to be some. Yeah, for sure. Um, mine's really similar. Defense almost identical. The top two pairings are the same: Petro and Ebenson and Dunn and Pareko. Uh, I did put Jake Wallman, and I kept Robert Bortuzzo. I feel like he's the kind of person that they can keep yeah. cheap, and he's got kind of a different edge to him than the other people. <laughs> they can um, say, "Look, you're Robert Bortuzzo." Mm- we're not paying you a bunch of money. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And he'd be like, okay, I don't know. That's fair, that's fair. Um, but I, I do see, um, I do probably see Wallman and or Schmaltz being dealt by this mm-hmm. team in the next year or two. I'd say it has Realistically, to but figuring that we're not factoring in the trades, um, that's who I have there. Uh, I agree that our top line, I don't see any reason for that to change, barring significant injury. I mean, there will be a point in each of these years where Jaden Schwartz has gone for 20 games. Yeah. But they'll just figure that <laughs> out as they go along. Uh, I just, for fun, had the second line be all the young guys, Cairo on the left, mm-hmm. or Costin on the left, excuse me, Cairo on the right, Robert Thomas in the center. I um, forgot Costin because I drank a beer. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I have Fabry, Bergwind and Thompson on the third line, which would be, like, so strange. Mm-hmm. And then my fun thing is this team's bringing back Ryan Reeves. It has to happen. Oh, that'd be we so all nice. Want it to happen. Chris Thorburn's here for another year at $800,000. I don't care. Scratch him. Yeah. Throw him in occasionally to punch some people. Put him <laughs> on the left. I don't care. I know. I think... Uh, Sorry, go ahead. No, as I say, I know Ryan Reeves isn't from here, uh-huh. but you know they're playing some coming home on the Jumbotron oh, yeah. when we oh, bring he them back. Longs here. Um, Winnipeg Blue Bombers can go get bent. He is <laughs> a St. Louis Blue. Um, and then I really think, uh, kind of along the same lines as uh, Bortuzzo, I would be shocked if Kyle Brodziak walked after this season. Uh, I think he is a UFA this year, but I would expect them to sign him up for another several-year period just because he does exactly what you need him to do in that position. Mm -hmm. Um, He's produced more offensively this year than we expect or ask him to. But I uh, I think Doug Armstrong has done a really good job of building a fourth line, which isn't really like a, a skill that you praise yeah. GMs for, but <laughs> he just has a good knack for finding guys who are willing to play those roles and do them consistently instead of, I mean, we have it a little bit now, but instead of generally we don't just kind of throw guys like whoever isn't scratched that day as the fourth line. Mm-hmm. Um, we are doing that currently a little bit, but for the most part, you know, we had the, um, the Cracknell line way back when we've had Reeves consistently. Mm-hmm. We have Brodziak and Upshaw for the last few years. Um, I would be kind of surprised if Upshaw came back in other years, especially considering that he's been a healthy scratch recently. Um, the but, fact that we pretty much let him walk this year. <laughs> yeah, but Brodziak, I really could see being a part of this team for the longish term, the medium term. Mm-hmm. Um, but the real thing that I learned through this exercise is that trades have to happen. Um, and I just kind of looked at some people that I really could see being trade candidates when you look at where our roster's at. Um, and uh, 
who's around when uh, Carl Gunnarsson, I realize, has uh, this year and next year on his contract. Uh, I think we'll probably trade him to any team that would take him. I disagree strongly with the people that are Carl Gunnarsson haters. Not that I'm like a passionate Carl Gunnarsson fan. <laughs> he's I just got a think jersey. He's fine. I think his contract is fine for what he does. It's a little high, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not anchoring this team. Um, I think Tage Thompson is a pretty significant trade candidate because he doesn't exactly fit in with those three young guys, but he's like our other best young player. Uh, Ravi Fabry, I think, kind of along the lines of what you said earlier, we would trade him in a heartbeat to a team that was going to value him highly, I -hmm. think. Um, As we mentioned, Schmaltz or Wallman or both are probably gone at some point. Um, Steen and Berglund are players that we, I think, will be happy to get rid of if we can, if we can unload those contracts. I don't think... There was a point where I thought Steen's was terrible. I don't think it's necessarily terrible. It's not great. Um, Mm -hmm. Hopefully you can pull the Blackhawk move and say, here's a veteran guy who can give your young club leadership, take his cap hit. Um, And (laughs) Bergwin's isn't a bad number, but it's long. It's through Mm -hmm. like 2022 or something crazy. So um, either of those guys I could see being moved out as other guys develop. And then the big one I put in as kind of a wild card is I really could see Joel Edmondson being traded um, if – at some point, Armstrong decided to do the kind of shocker move, mm-hmm. sort of along the Eric Johnson lines of like, oh, we're going to make a really big like roster swap sort of thing. Um, I've thought I thought maybe Joel Edmondson for Matt Duchesne was an interesting possibility, and we apparently never had interest in Duchesne, uh, which is kind of fine. Thank goodness, he apparently <laughs> sucks. Um, but uh, I just think Edmondson fits great. He he'd be a good partner for Petrangelo. This isn't a reflection on him any in any way. Uh, but when you look at the money we've already got committed to Petrangelo and Pareko, Edmondson is kind of the third defenseman, but he's mm-hmm. not going to want third, you know, third yeah. defenseman money. And he can sort of take Bomeister's contract from Bomeister if he's willing to even settle for that little. But I just. I wouldn't. I'm not saying I'd be surprised at all if he was here in three years, but I do think he's kind of the candidate for if we're making a shot, you know, a shake trade, a shake it up trade. Mm-hmm. We can trade him to a team that wants a piece to build a defensive core around, yeah, and sort of sell him as that young first line blue chipper kind of guy, and then you know get whatever back in return yeah. that we get. I think Edmondson and. Maybe a high pick, maybe like a second round sort of thing gets you something where it might be a a second line player mm-hmm. if it's someone if it's a team that really needs a defenseman. Yeah. I think another small, a much smaller player that could possibly be traded. I don't think he was on either of your or my predictions is uh, an Ivan Barbashev. Yeah, I, I like him here, but is the kind of guy too where I don't know if Kairou pans out and if Thomas pans out and we'll say even if Kostin pans out, mm-hmm. you're kind of getting shoved down the lineup. Yeah. I mean, you're already kind of getting shoved down the lineup as is, so. Yeah, and another guy who we didn't even name who is signed we'll never name. 2019 is Vladimir Sabotka. Oh, um, and yeah. And I had him kind of on my fourth line at, at that point. I think I did write him down, but... There's just the point that I guess we're drilling home and we do want to move on is there are uh, 
there's tons of room for moves on this team. There's mm-hmm. tons of bodies. And I'm I know you need depth. Like I know you need depth overall to get through seasons, but I've always been of the belief that you want to know who your 12 are or your 9 at least are ideally, you mm-hmm. know, and then your depth can supplement those guys. Yeah. You know, but what I when I look at the team right now, what I think to myself is, do we know who the nine guys we'd have if everyone was healthy, if everyone was playing well? Like, do we know what nine guys would ideally be our top nine and where they would play right now? Because I'm not sure we do, you know, <laughs> with Fabry and Sanford and, Sh- and Schwartz and, you know, all the guys between like Barbashev, Yaskin, Thompson, those guys like. I don't know that we know who goes well, where, you know, so it's interesting to think about. Did you have another comment on that before we move on? No, it'll just be, like we've said a bunch, uh, interesting transition moving forward because I think guys like Kairou and even um, Thomas, even this early on in his sort of young career, are pushing for spots mm-hmm. already next training camp legitimately yeah so i agree it's one of those things where if they Boston definitely is, yeah i think if they if if even just two of them show a lot of promise and mm-hmm. that they need to be played i think that's when you're gonna see i think we may see um trades that we don't normally see in the sense that we might see trades towards the beginning of the season next yeah. year from the blues perspective because they'll just need to make them mm-hmm. that's a good point and um I forgot what I was going to say, so never mind. <laughs> um, but, but one uh, big thing that you uh, may have noticed we didn't address is the goaltender uh, that will be here in three years. The obvious answer it would be Jake Allen, uh, who's on a $4.35 million contract through 2020. I was going to say uh, Jordan Bennington. But... Uh, Currently, as I'm sure none of you are uh, unfamiliar with, there's something of a goaltender controversy in Every St. year, baby. Uh, we ran a poll on Tuesday for who should start in Toronto. I th- we think Yo had sort of an unenviable decision where every decision he had to make was wrong. Uh, and Allen and Billy Huso each got 11% of the vote. <laughs> uh, Carter Hutton won the plurality of the vote with 44%, and Martin Brodeur got 34%. Um, he could have dusted off the pads. I'm sure he, <laughs> Strap would. I'm sure on, he still would have been fine, honestly. Um, you think he still limbers up? Probably. He's Every probably, morning. He's probably ready to go right now. <laughs> Look, I don't know what that's like. I can't touch my toes. Yeah, that's rough. That's rough. That's real life. rough. Um, I'm tall and I'm inflexible. Jake Allen also can't touch his toes. <laughs> um, oh, that's not true. That's probably not true, yeah. Uh, but he is currently 18-14-2 and two in 35 games uh, that he's played this year. There's obviously one no decision in there. Uh, he has a 2.75 goals against average, which puts him at 30th in the league, and a 9.08 save percentage that puts him at 34th in the league. And I should clarify, uh, that is among qualified candidates, so I think the threshold was like 14 games played or something. It wasn't... Really? That's still kind of... Maybe it was just 10, That's but still kind of like, low. I would have thought... Yeah. I did a little math earlier today, and I think a lot of starters play at least 50 you know Mm -hmm. as the season goes on so that's about 60 percent of your game so Mm -hmm. i did 60 percent or you know 0.6 times 45 games that's kind of what a lot of people have played by now Uh and it came out to like 25 or 25 ish so i was like that's that was my idea was like if you played 
we'll go even lower, like 20 or more, you're considered like a starter. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, the one thing that's interesting is that Starter Hutton, speaking of which, <laughs> uh, speaking of starters, has started the last two games. I'm, I was surprised to see, though, that despite uh, as good as his numbers are, he's 13-9-3 on the season. So by our standard of what is and isn't 500, he's barely above 500 mm-hmm. in his uh, games. Now, some of those are probably in relief of Allen. Yeah, we kind of have to those foot the L. Count. Um, but... He has a goals against average at one seven eight and a save percentage at nine four two percent, which puts him distinctly in the lead in both categories. Although, of course, he has played significantly fewer games. I believe than he's most yeah. starting goalies. But he's he first is overall now. He's first overall in both those categories yeah, across the whole exactly. NHL. Yeah, so um, he's obviously doing very well. Um, so. The question for the Blues now is, how do you handle this? And we've talked about it, I know, for several weeks now. You may be bored of hearing it, uh, but it is we all a are. <laughs> big discussion for the team right now. Um, I would say that the reality is this. The point I want to make is Carter Hutton looks great. I'm not trying to steal any credit from Carter Hutton. Uh, but in all actuality... If Jake Allen isn't the long-term solution for this team, sort of looking at that three-year projection, then neither of these guys is the long-term solution (laughs) for this team. Uh, Carter Hutton's great, but he's 32 years old. He's a UFA at the end of the season. 32 is old for goalies. I mean, it's not old-old, but it's well beyond young. Uh, Henrik Lundqvist and Pekka Rene are both 35 years old, and the talk that constantly surrounds those guys is time's almost up. You know, time's yeah. basically up. And those guys were Henrik Lundqvist and Pekka Rene to begin with. <laughs> they weren't Carter Hutton. I'm, I'm really not trying to crap on Carter Hutton, but, like, Marc-Andre Fleury is 33, one year older, and his team just shipped him off. I mean, I know they had a better solution, uh, you know, a young, a great young solution at the time, but they let him go in the expansion draft because of his age and his contract. Um, another thing to consider is that Carter Hutton is 32. If he plays out the rest of this season as the backup, and or as as the you know starter by proxy, if you will, let's say in the worst case scenario for Allen, uh, and then he hits free agent and is demanding emerging starter money. Uh, I I looked up just as a comparison the guy who did that last year was Scott Darling, uh, who became kind of oh, yeah. de facto mm-hmm. starter for a long period in. Uh, Chicago. He's 29, so a few years younger, but he signed a four-year deal at an AAV of $4.15 million um, with Carolina. And uh, Brian Elliott, uh, who's 32, granted uh, kind of a decent comp for where Carter Hutton's at in his career, too, hit free agency last year and signed a uh, two-year deal for 2.75 million a year after a pretty bad year in Calgary. It's safe to say he would have commanded a lot more if he'd had a great year in Calgary mm-hmm. the year before that. So, my point with all of that is what's your plan with Carter Hutton? If you want him to stay, are you willing to even pay him 2.75 million dollars? I'm certainly not willing to pay him 4. No, like, no, no. And no, I don't no, no. think he can really demand that. 
But I'm saying if he plays out this season basically as our starter, worst-case scenario, mm-hmm. he's going to expect three or above. Because kind of like you said with Paul Stastny, la- you know, last podcast, this is his last chance to make money. Yeah. And as a career backup, he hasn't yet. I mean, he's made great money for, like, human beings, but not for <laughs> hockey players, you know? Um he he's 32 years old. He just played his hundredth career game. There's a reason for that. I mean, yes, part of the reason is that he was backing up Pekarene and not some more middling goalie. But the idea that this guy's like a superstar that's just been hidden the whole time, not realistic. He's a very hot goalie right now. Um, what are your thoughts on Carter Hutton? I. I sound super negative. I just want to reiterate you sound that I'm terribly negative. I'm not trying, <laughs> no, no. I'm not trying no, to bury no. him. Uh, and in all actuality, what I really want is for Jake Allen to like fly back to the top and be our goalie for years to come. That's looking less and less yeah. likely. So realistically, what do you think the way forward is with Hutton? In the worst case scenario that Allen does not recover this season, what do we do? Yeah, I was going to say Doug this. Armstrong, <laughs> Ian Peters, answer our questions. I was going to say this is sort of why the whole subject's been brought up is that it wouldn't be such a big deal if he was just hot and we were playing the hot hand because Allen, you know, had a couple bad games mm-hmm. or something like that, and we're just doing the. There was a period where we were kind of doing that. I mean, Allen to begin was slipping with, a little. Yeah. But he hadn't really shown his valleys yet, mm-hmm. and they were still starting hotting a little more. But we're definitely beyond that. Well, like you said, yeah, he's kind of we've kind of seen Allen go back to the second time to his dark place, <laughs> and uh, if he doesn't recover and Hutton plays this well financially, like you said, you don't want to go. Well, we're not going to pay you as much as Jake Allen, or even just you know. Less, Alan, less than a million shy of that. I don't think I mentioned, but Allen is at four point three five million through twenty twenty. I did so, mention yeah. that at the start, but so Hutton can't make within a million yeah. of Allen, even if you want to say he deserves it or whatever. It's just as like a as a hierarchy standard in a pro sport, not going to happen on this team. You can have two goalies making a total of eight million or more if one of your goalies is Henrik Lundqvist yeah. or Carey Price or Pekka Rinne. Yeah. Beyond that, it's not an option. And you saw, I mean, you saw what the stars became trying to do that with Kari Lettinen and Ante Niemi. That's a whole nother. We don't want to be that, you know. I don't know what they do though if this trend continues and Hutton is the guy that keeps getting starts. Allen keeps faltering. I almost think you have to do a full goalie makeover, sort of, in all honesty. I think if Allen falters so bad to the rest of the season like he has, and I don't think he will, but if that were to happen, I I don't know what you do with them in this organization or how you, that sounds so mean, but get rid of them. Mm-hmm. But then I also don't think Carter Hutton, who might demand closest to starter money, gets that either here. Right. I think then you might, I don't know, overall, worst case scenario, I think Carter Hutton would be gone. Jake Allen would be gone. You would get a journeyman goalie, uh, a Peter Budai, if you will, or someone like that on Mm -hmm. this team to maybe start-ish. God, this sounds so weird. I don't know if I believe what I'm saying, but hear me out. You get Peter (laughs) Budai to kind of start-ish this team, and you bring up Jordan Bennington, you bring up Billy Huso, 
Um, both of which who I have here actually with um, a few of their stats this year. Uh, Jordan Bennington to start with, who's the older of the two, is 24, got drafted in 2011, um, drafted late in the third round, 88th pick. He's someone I think we kind of forget because Vili Huso I think is touted a little more as the better goaltender. Mm -hmm. But Jordan Bennington in our AHL debacle is playing with neither the Chicago Wolves or the San Antonio Rampage. He's being loaned out to the Providence Bruins, who you can only guess to what NHL team they're the AHL team to. It's the Pittsburgh Penguins. But actually, it's the Boston Bruins because <laughs> they're both named Bruin. Anyways. That's very confusing. Uh, yeah. So anyways, he's, I believe, leading or in the top five mm -hmm. of their goaltenders in the AHL in terms of stats. He's got a .931 save percentage, a 1.81 goals against average across 15 games. He's got a record of 10-3-1. He's kind of turning it on at the right time especially for a team that's hard-pressed to find a goalie that can perform well mm -hmm. and that they want to pay as a starter. And then Billy Husso, who's played for the San Antonio Rampage this whole year, has 17 games played, has a .925 save percentage, and a 2.44 goals against for a record of 9-6. and six. Uh, I think he's also getting along pretty well in his development. He might be a little further back. Mm -hmm. Goalies, a lot like um, pitchers, if you're familiar with baseball, take a little while to develop i think it's it's such a big position there's so much more to it than the other positions that it just takes a lot more maturing over a longer period of time yeah um i don't know if either one of them would be ready to step in next year as a starter mm -hmm. but you might be able to platoon them as a young guy old guy situation like i said a peter budai um with one of these young guys yeah at worst we're kind of shooting way out in the future here i'm sure I'm pretty sure Allen will rebound, in which case I think the more likely scenario is Allen's our starter next year. Um, Hutton gets paid somewhere else, more likely than not, unless he's taking a discount because he Depends just likes it here. how much time it takes for Allen to recover a little yeah. bit. Yeah, you know? and then we get a, a Huso or Bennington, probably more likely Bennington as a backup mm -hmm. for the time being, and you just... And then maybe if Allen hits the skids again next year, you see what Jordan Bennington has to offer. Yeah. I would say there's a part of me that really wants, like, Alan to figure it out this year so we can ship him out in the summer. Because I... <laughs> yeah, well, you can't... We can't, You like, can't trade him at his lowest. What are you right. going to get for him? Nothing. Just nothing, man. We, we can't pretend at this point that he's a young goalie figuring it out. You know, maybe he gets the mental confidence. At least it is a mental thing and not a physical thing. You know, mm -hmm. it's not just that he sucks. But, um... <laughs> He's 25, 26, somewhere in there. He's played a lot of NHL games now, and this is two years in a row where he's just collapsed at one point in the season. And that doesn't even count points in the past where he struggled during these months. This is two years in a row where it's like he can't be started at some point in yeah. the season. Um, you know, the reality is if we let that happen another year, you know, let, leaving aside, okay, well, if it happens another year, he's done. If we let that happen another year, nobody's trading for him. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, the reality is he's such damaged goods at that point um, that uh, nobody's going to be interested in I mean, him he's, yeah, at that at point, all. he's pretty much just riding the pine the rest of the season, yeah. I guess. I don't um, know. The thing is... Uh, it just puts us in a difficult situation. Our friend 
uh, our friends at uh, St. Louis Game Time, Jeff Jones, uh, at Jeff M. Jones on Twitter, uh, wrote a pretty interesting article that we tweeted out earlier about comparing Jake Allen and Brett Johnson um, from, uh, you know, about a decade ago, I guess mm-hmm. now. But Brent Johnson was similar in a lot of ways to Jake Allen in a lot of scary ways. Um, the real, you know, he was a young goalie who we promised to be the future goaltending solution for this team. Um, he had one brilliant year in the playoffs. Um, he uh, ultimately struggled the next year. We brought in Fred Braithwaite, an older Ooh, wow, I remember that to kind of back him up. And Braithwaite eventually took more and more of the time until we traded for Chris Osgood uh, to bail out um, Johnson. And then Johnson, ironically, uh, was uh, then traded to the Calgary Flames, much like uh, Ryan, Ryan Elliott. Elliott was. Mm-hmm. Yes, so. Um, we have to, we're walking a fine line, is my point. I looked up the uh, the free engine, free agent goaltenders that are impending: uh, Lettinen, Halak, Cam Ward, no, Eddie Locke, no, no, Jonathan Bernier, no. uh, Antti Niemi, Andrew Hammond, Andre Pavlak, um, and Carter Hutton, and Antti Ranta are the players. Um, the only one of those that I could even maybe stomach taking a fire on is Ranta. That was what I was going to say. If you were going to trade Allen and then bring up, you know, either maybe do the thing where you pay Hutton money, you pay Ranta money, you give him each like two years just, just say fight like for three it. million or whatever, and just kind of, you know, do the Elliot Halak thing again until oh. Huso is ready. That's the real problem is that Huso and Bennington, maybe Bennington more than Huso, but his ceiling's a little lower, but like yeah. neither one of them is ready to be the goalie. Um, it's a tricky situation. Uh, make sure to check out Jeff's article. Um, we don't want to linger on it too long. Uh, because there were also two games we played this week. Uh, the good news is, for those of you who uh, don't like our longer podcast, which I'm sure is none of you, I think we can move through the games uh, fairly quickly. Um, but the Blues returned from their bye week in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, uh, against the Toronto Maple Leafs, because it will be odd to play another team in Toronto. Um, and they did that on Tuesday. And I think overall they looked... Not great. I was going to try and say, okay. And they looked fine. They They looked looked a lot better when you compare it to the Florida game before the break. Mm. They looked a lot better. Um, But it was one of those games where we couldn't bury an opportunity. We took, uh, like, as has become characteristic of us, we took 42 shots uh, counting overtime. But we couldn't bury an opportunity. Um, And then middle of the third period, Connor Brown got past Alex Petrangelo on our power play. Um, Nice. A puck just bounced on Petrangelo, and uh, Brown scrambled past him. Petrangelo tried to dive and take him down. Um, And... uh, Brown shot it over Hutton's glove side with um, Tarasenko kind of trailing him and trying to catch up but failing. Um, Hutton admitted a little bit of fault. Uh, he said, on Brown's shorthanded goal, I bit too early. I did the same thing last game. I think the last three goals I've given up are on breakaways, so that's something I need to tighten up for sure. Um, 
you know, my view on it is it's never the goalie's fault when it's a breakaway. If the puck goes in, there's only so much he can do. With that said, if Jake Allen had been in the net, we would have eaten him alive for this goal. <laughs> it was not good. I mean, even Hutton admitted without prompting it wasn't good. Um, and that is not, again, to pick on Hutton. It's just to say, like, he's he's human, too, so he makes mistakes, you know. Um, you just don't like this Hutton guy. I hate Carter Hutton, guys. It's true. He keyed Steve's he's, car. He's funny. He's personable. He's uh, outgoing, and I hate him. <laughs> um, so it looked it just at this point, honestly, the way the Blues have been playing lately, all you're saying is here we go again. Yeah, it's over. I mean, they I'm got, sure that's what most people thought for sure. I'm, I know we did. I know yeah. everybody on Twitter did. Um, and I had even, you know, kind of jokingly said on Twitter when it got towards the last couple minutes, I said, "Okay, Nazem Kadri's burying the empty netter." I'm just calling the shot right now. Um, I even wrote it in the show notes at 1923 before it happened. And then I struck through that and said, lies, because what actually happened (laughs) is the Blues pulled their goalie, and for the first time since, I believe, April 7th of last year, ironically against the Blackhawks, they scored on the 6-on-5 the first time all season they had done this. Alex Steen scored his seventh of the year with Petrangelo and Stastny assisting. Um, Tarasenko did, made a really great play at the line using his side size. Someone was barreling in on him, and he just kind of waited till the last second to draw the guy to him and take. He absorbed the hit and got the puck past him, past the guy to Stastny. Uh, Stastny then dished to Petrangelo, and if you watch the playback, there are three Maple Leafs basically on the combination of Stastny and Tarasenko. And this is how you're supposed to use the numbers advantage. <laughs> they basically eliminated three of the Maple Leafs from the play because the play is moving you know, towards the goalie's right mm-hmm. away from those guys. And those guys now have to play catch-up to get back. Uh, Petrangelo gets the puck and shoots through the le- you know around the legs of one of the remaining defenders and it goes off of uh, Anderson's pads and then um, Steen very nonchalantly backhanded it in for the tying goal. Uh, Steen, who was once a uh, Toronto Maple Leafs prospect, was traded to the Blues in what is widely considered one of the worst <laughs> trades, uh, even by you know modern Maple Leafs fans, uh, along with Carlo Koliakovo for Lee Stempniak. Uh, and Steen has 17 points in 13 games against the Leafs, including seven goals. Uh, so kind of an amazing, just out of no, nowhere, we tied the game. That crash was a water bottle, um, and uh, we took it to overtime. Um, and I still wasn't confident that we could win, uh, but Vince Dunn apparently was. Uh, Vince Dunn got the start out of nowhere because uh, Jay Bomeister had some travel issues. Uh, Bomeister just gave birth. Well, no, he <laughs> his wife just <laughs> gave birth. There's no information. Uh, we don't know. To their second child. Um, so congratulations to the both of them. Uh, but Vince Dunn uh, was inserted into the lineup at the last minute. Um because Bo Meester's flight back was delayed and he mm-hmm. couldn't make it since he was traveling separately from the team. Uh, but Dunn, who I think is from Mississauga in Ontario, but is nearby to Toronto, uh, grew up a Maple Leafs fan, uh, got to score the game winner in the Air Canada Center um, with Stastny assisting. Uh, he basically went coast to coast on this, though. He started behind our net and he skated up along the boards. Um, 
He was two-on-one with Stastny against Jake Gardner. Uh, He looked off Gardner and kind of froze him, I think, and Anderson as if he was going to pass to uh, Stastny. But he ultimately shot at Anderson and beat him low, uh, kind of across Anderson's body to the blocker side. Um, and John Kelly had the great call. The local kid wins it for the Blues in overtime. Uh, Dunn said, it's a pretty crazy feeling. You dream about playing in this arena when you're a little kid and you get the opportunity tonight, even though I didn't really think I was going to be in. I get lots of support here from my family and my friends. Just very fortunate for the opportunity, and I'm really happy we could get this win. Uh, He also commented, I just tried to shoot for the rebound more than anything, but it's found its way through the net. Um, He's the first Blues rookie to score in overtime since uh, the aforementioned uh, Lee Stempniak in 2005-2006 and the first Blues rookie defenseman to do so since Bryce Salvador did so in the 2001 playoffs. Uh, Cool for Dunn, who had been ill uh, with the flu and missed, I think, four games before the break Mm -hmm. uh, with an extended bout with the flu and was then sent to the AHL for a little seasoning while we were on the break. Um, I think it's cool to see him get in there. I'm kind of disappointed that it was a backup plan to put him in yeah. in his return home, but you kind of understand that um, awesome moment for him. Uh, Storylines, just kind of, you know, stuff we've already discussed. Uh, Carter Hutton started this game, played very well. I do think the goal he allowed was weak, but he only allowed one, so kind of a trade-off there. Um Scotty Upshaw was scratched in this one, as was Oscar Sundquist, but who cares? Um, a, <laughs> I, I think it's just a game. I would say we probably didn't deserve to win it. We didn't exactly deserve to lose it. It's not one of those that we just, like, you know, out of nowhere stole. This is why ties should exist. <laughs> um, but uh, it was a big comeback win for us, and you have to wonder, especially after the game we just played tonight that Ian's about to cover, whether it was sort of a turning point for us. Uh, the Blues outshot the Maple Leafs 42-31. to 31. Maple Leafs won 60% of the fatal face-offs, uh, but there were 32 to 25 hits for the Blues. That's a lot of hits. 22 to 14 <laughs> blocks, which is a fair number of blocks, and giveaways were 10 for the Blues to the Toronto's 17. So, Ian, you have the privilege of covering tonight's much more exciting game, or at least the excitement was spread out a little more. Yeah, it was it was exciting. Well, the first period was a pretty even one between the Blues and the Ottawa Senators tonight. Uh, Bo Meesterang went off the post early on. That could have been a Bowmeister goal, a rarity. Maybe would have really shown something to us that this team had really turned around when Jay Bowmeister starts to score. <laughs> but we did not get to see such a goal. Um, later on in the first period, Zach Smith missed a shot on a partial breakaway on Carter, Carter Hutton. And uh, Hutton said, kind of like uh, you would mentioned earlier, that he needs to work on his breakaways, but uh, mm-hmm. he doesn't, didn't have to save this one because it missed. But I definitely thought for a second there that was going in. It looked like the Patton and Blues uh, <laughs> play of putting tons of pressure on the Senators and then a breakaway the other direction for a goal. But thankfully, it was not to be. Uh, the first period ended with a lot of back and forth. Uh, both teams registered seven shots apiece on that, and both teams also had 12 hits. So as even as they get. Uh, the Blues' second period was uh, really good. They got off early. Um, working pretty hard along the boards in the uh, neutral zone and in their own zone a lot. Uh, there was a Blues goal pretty early on, too, then with Tarasenko. It was his 20th. It was mm-hmm. a tipped shot at 6.13, assisted by Bortuzzo and Stasny. 
Uh, it was a nice shot by Bortuzzo. Uh, there's a little slow motion replay of Tarasenko kind of seeing the puck come in and kind of shifting a stick angle to get the nice tip and pass uh, Anderson, a different Anderson, Craig <laughs> yeah, Anderson. Exactly. Yeah, I know. It, it kind of tripped me up a little bit it's when I was looking at it. and everything. Yep, because he's American, and yep. the other guy is Swedish, yep. and they got to do it differently. They can't make it easy on us. <laughs> now, this was a really nice goal. We mentioned it was a Tarasenko tip-in, but it was kind of a nice sequence leading up to the goal. Uh, the Senators had it moving towards the blue zone. Bortuzzo stopped the puck carry at the red line. Dunn poked the puck away from the Senator player in front of him. Barbashev grabbed it and got it up the ice for a quick zone entry, and the rest was history with that Tarasenko goal. Uh, Petrangelo got a goal in the second period too on a wrist Very shot. Very high skill. <laughs> yeah. it was a, it was an interesting one. It was at twelve fifty one. It was unassisted, and I think for an interesting reason. Uh, I don't know who the Blues player was that shot the puck on Anderson's uh, on Anderson. I for life of me on the replay, I cannot see this guy's number or name. We'll say Sabotka. Don't quote me on that. I'm giving you a random name. Um, it hit Anderson the pads and it popped up in front of him. He then decided to swat at it with his stick to just get it out from in front of him. Mm-hmm. Normally, probably a good move. But when he swatted at it, it went directly to Petrangelo at the right circle, who just fired an arrestor. Uh, Anderson was kind of paralyzed. I think he was still in his own head thinking, <laughs> how could I have done this <laughs> as it got on Petrangelo's stick? Uh, I did feel a little bad for Anderson. This kind of felt like... A few of these goals were goals that we're used to seeing get scored on us. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, it just feels kind of bad going the other direction. But yeah. I'll take it. Anderson, uh, who was one of the feel-good stories of the year last year for, mm-hmm. you know, being with his wife through her cancer and everything, has not had a particularly yeah. good season. I can't say it's not necessarily because of the team in front of him. Yeah, I mean, the yeah. team's been awful. I'm not trying to... Blame it yeah, on him. but he didn't. Necess- I think you propped up a team that was probably not as good as people thought they were last mm-hmm. year. So yeah, not doing the best. Um, another Blues goal at uh, six sixteen fifty three of the second period by Braden Shen. This is off of a backhand shot. It was a nice feed for to Steen to Shen as he was scoring, or as he was scoring, as he was streaking in to score. Uh, this was kind of a nasty goal for Anderson too because. It was on a backhand, I'll give you that, and it's in close, so these are really hard to read. But I think Anderson, as Pang said, thought it was going wide mm-hmm. on his far side because that's kind of how he reacted. And he kind of reacted slowly, too, because he was still trying to save it on the far side as it was going in the net. Mm-hmm. I think it was just a complete sort of guess, and he guessed wrong. Um, then we got the Bobby Ryan goal for the Sens less than 30 seconds later, which, as uh, Pang and J.K. pointed out, He's been a blues killer his whole life mm-hmm. while on the centers, while on the Ducks. I believe he's had like 17-something goals in 20-something games against us. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. We talked about it earlier. There's a few different players for different teams that tend to just do really well against them. Chris Stewart. Formally. Chris Stewart, yeah. Uh, we tweeted out, Bobby Ryan is getting paid some god. I mean, it's It's like 7.5. 7.5 through 2022, I think. Yikes. Um, which this just is his, as, this is his sixth goal by the way yeah. this season for that much money this is his <laughs> just sixth as an goal. aside the next time you want to complain about I don't know Alex Dean Jay Bomeister's contract just yeah take a second <laughs> for a second there are some truly horrendous contracts out there um, 
But our tweet was kind of like, if you just watched his games against the Blues, you could almost think he was worth it. <laughs> um, but yes, he has been a Blues killer and no one else mm-hmm. at all, which is weird. Like, that's a very strange phenomenon, and it happens in all sports. Yeah, there's always somebody. I thought that Sens goal by Ryan was going to be a little bit of a momentum killer. It was towards the end of the period. You kind of hate having those, especially not only at the end of the period, but right after you scored a goal. I mean, it's 3-1, but... I do get flashbacks of teams turning a 3-0 lead by the Blues into a 4-3 OT loss. Yeah. Um, 28 seconds separated the two. Yeah. So that's Not much. Yeah, it always a little bit of a gut punch. Um, the second period ended with the uh, Sanders taking two penalties within a small amount of time, so the third period began with us on a 5-on-3. Yeah, uh, but actually, just not to correct you in any mm-hmm. way, but they actually got a penalty before they took the first of theirs. Yeah. So with the goal... And then a penalty, you know, power play against right on top of it. Mm-hmm. It looked bad for us for a second. Yeah. And then they committed the two. I will say, like, our PK has been much better. Mm-hmm. And I think their power plays ranked pretty low. So that was the one time where I thought, hey, this might not be so bad. Yeah, that's your, true. Your power play with Matt Duchesne and Mike Hoffman. And Eric and, Carlson. And Eric Carlson and Mark Stone is real bad. Does that did make any sense? <laughs> I feel uh, like we did. Probably. Um, oh man, who? Sassy, Sassy's or Cece's Broussard. Broussard. Oh man, how gosh. does that power play stink? How is that team so bad? I don't get it. That doesn't make any it must sense. Must just be like that's got to be like a locker room thing where they're just like not on the same page at all. I mean, they were. There's too yeah. much talent on that team. They weren't doing be great before Duchesne, terrible. and I feel like they almost got worse. Yeah, that's probably fair. Um, in that second period, though, before it ended, uh, or before we move on to the third, the Blues outshot the Senators 19-6, to so that's mm-hmm. pretty good. I mean, we did a lot of um, offensive zone work, a lot of neutral zone work. I noticed that a lot um, throughout this whole game, that we did really well in the neutral zone, being able to pressure Senators along the boards, through the middle, to get pucks turned over. They didn't seem, this might be why they stink, they seem to have zero composure when you're in their face mm-hmm. at all. Uh, I think Pang alluded to that a lot throughout the night. So the Blues started the third period with a five-on-three. And they converted and scored a goal, uh, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> to, to no one's surprise, they now looked... over seven abs- minutes, yeah. I think, of total five-on-three yeah. time without a goal. With zero goals. So, that yeah. They looked... Li- I don't know how you look lifeless on a five-on-three, but they, they did. I mean, Terry Senko rang one off the post... So that didn't count as a shot. So we got another shot on net because we registered a shot. So that's an improvement, I guess. But how are you five on three and you register one shot? And we still have guys kind of hanging out by the blue line because God knows that five on three shorthanded goals coming. I mean, maybe, you know what, to be fair, maybe maybe for this team there might be. Um, yeah, Pang as mentioned Pang? Oh, yeah sorry. that much too predictable. Yeah. This power play, I mean, you can see it even set of... On our last chance we had with like the power play winding down, Preco had it. I remember he got it, but they already had all three of their players push super close to Anderson. I was like, this is when you just crank it. Yeah. At least crank it to make someone, you know, the puck hit somebody at least, and then it drops down to the ice, and you can just start hacking and whacking uh-huh. at it. And he kind of dusted it off looking for like the best shot and or then another he, like, pass. Lost the handle oh, yeah. It second, just got, it? yeah. <laughs> it got picked by a guy on, on a five on three. It's. It's inexcusable. I'm not a coach, so I hate to use such like big, broad words, you know, just denouncing this team. But it's it's inexcusable at this point. It just <laughs> looks nothing, so silly. I don't, the 
It's the same personnel, almost to a man. If there's one Here's change, the they got to fire whoever's doing this. And I yeah. want to say it's Mike Yo, so maybe not. But bring in someone to do it Bru- then instead. Yeah, Ruby or whoever. Yeah. I mean, they they had Kevin Shattenkirk last year. Yeah. But the thing is, after he left and early this season, we were fine mm-hmm. on the power play. We were really good on the power play to start this season. So we can't pretend that it's <laughs> like, oh, Kevin Shattenkirk's the whole reason. Yeah. We've added Braden Shin. We haven't lost... Anybody that was a power play player, mm. and we're worse somehow. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's it's mind-boggling. The rest of the third period had the Blues sort of dominating in shots. They looked really good. Um, they did, again, a great job in neutral zone. I saw quite a few plays by um, Vince Dunn. I think he's gained a lot of confidence, not just from the goal last game, but maybe just letting him have some time off, maybe gaining some more energy from having the time off of the flu. But he, I think he looked really great. I think that's a player that sometimes maybe we forget is as special as he might be down the road. I think he's definitely a second line or a second pairing guy that, I don't know, could do spot first pairing work. I don't know how he fits with Petrangelo, but he's looking more and more confident with the puck, making yeah. better decisions, really and great passes. Like Shattenkirk, he's got a really cool skill set. He can yeah. fit into that role. I think well. he could I think eventually down the line, I don't know if I put him there now, but he I would say he probably runs our power play. He's probably a power play quarterback for yeah. us moving forward. God but, knows it can't be Petrangelo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the only one thing I was gonna say was Petrangelo, I like him. He's had a little bit of a rough second half of the season. But I don't know if his spot is on the first power play mm-hmm. unit. I think I'd rather a Pareko be there. I know Petrangelo has has a lot of poise and calm with the puck, but I don't think when he keeps it from bouncing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I said that, and there were images of him flooding it out of the zone. And I was like, I don't know if I'm lying or not. Um, but yeah, I think a Pareko, even a Dunn, is just better at that position and I know some people are like well who's going to defend when they're coming out of our zone you know on a shorthand that just shouldn't happen anyways so we shouldn't have to worry about it in all reality yeah uh, third period ended with uh, the centers pulling their pulling Anderson and Steen getting his eighth goal of the season on an empty net assisted by Shen at 1842 I think Steen last year didn't have a ton of goals but I think he actually had quite a few of them were empty netters so continuing the yeah I believe he's got four goals or something like that in his last six games. And before, I think he had like four or five in the other 30 games. So, I mean, he's coming on. He's the kind of guy I'd like to see sort of heat up a little because you want your veteran presence to also be producing. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, I thought the game was really good. Uh, the Blues outshot the Senators 37-21. to 21. Senators did dominate on the dots, winning 57% of the draws. Like I said, the whole team looked really good. Sands the power play. Somehow, somehow we looked really good. You take a player away from the Senators, not so good for us. But <laughs> we'll take what we can, I guess. That's what's, I mean, it's mind-boggling that we look worse, worse. on the power play. So I don't, yeah. like, it would be one thing if you were, like, just not potent on the mm. power play but looked normal, but we actually yeah. look like more lost on the power play than we do five on five. I, I used to play like NHL, whatever it was, whatever it would have been, 12 or 13 in college uh, with like three other friends. And if you play five on five and you don't lock your position, when you pass to the computer player, uh-huh. it doesn't necessarily always, I think it doesn't always become you 
or it does become you, but you meant to pass to another human player. So it gets yeah. confusing. Uh-huh. So when we would take a penalty and there would only be four players on the PK, we played so much better <laughs> without that extra guy. That I must be what's happening. I don't think that's happening to the other people. That's not how real life works, but I always found it kind of funny. That is funny. Um, one point I wanted to make, though, because I remember down the stretch last year, we played a lot of easy teams. We banked a lot of, you know, quote-unquote easy points. And people were like, well, you know... That's nice and all, but that doesn't really mean anything, you know, or it doesn't mean a lot for the playoffs. And maybe that's true because you're not going to face those teams in the playoffs. But I want to say right now for this team, the stretch coming up and getting this win against Ottawa, and if we can win against, you know, Arizona, Ottawa again, uh, Montreal, the Avalanche, things like that. Although I guess the Avalanche are doing better. Um, those might be easy teams. They might not, I don't know, say a lot about our team, mm-hmm. but they're points we need. And it's confidence that this team needs. And I'll take both against anybody. So this is most certainly one of those things where Ottawa stinks, but a win's a win. And we looked good in it. And it can only propel us into better things, I would hope. Yeah, I I agree. Um, Looking ahead, you said, I mean, you mentioned we have Arizona, um, Ottawa, Colorado coming up, then the All-Star break, and then Montreal uh, to round out. January, which is, I, I swear I heard John Coey say we sweat the season series with the Senators today, but we're no, we play them Tuesday. I thought that's what he was oh, going to say. He said, the two, two he said Ontario yeah, or right, whatever. Because, okay. yeah, I was um, like, what? No, JK. I remember thinking that at the time and then correcting, and now I've forgotten. I'll be at that uh, other Ottawa game, so. Yeah, nice. There's that. Awesome. Um, and then next month, we only play the Nashville, the Predators, and the Jets. We play them four times, but we have about 12 games. So that's kind of what I'm evaluating for hard yeah. games is those two teams I are mean, harder than anything else. Man, um, yeah, those are the ones you're going to want to see the Blues show up in. So, yeah, I mean, it, it could not be more obvious that Jake Allen's going to get to start against the Predator or against the Coyotes on Saturday. If he doesn't, it's over. Like, if yeah, they don't have enough confidence the to easy start him picking team. against the Coyotes... I I don't have it's like yeah. I'm not trying to over exaggerate. I know he'll be in there, so it's not an issue. Yeah. But like, it would be over. No, as yeah. far as I'm if concerned. he's not in against the Coyotes on Saturday, I'd say keep your phones on because that dude's getting traded. And if he sucks against the Coyotes, Yikes. see ya. I don't <laughs> like, care. Like I like bring in Chris Osgood or whoever yeah. the old equivalent is. <laughs> Trade for Cam Ward. I don't know. Marty you know, Broder. Whatever. Um, but yeah, just those four games, Arizona, Ottawa, Colorado, Montreal, you got to win three of those to be have to to be on track for anything, you know, especially at home. We've been so mediocre at home, uh, but you got to do it. Then you go to Boston and Buffalo, Minnesota, Colorado, Winnipeg, Pittsburgh, Nashville, Dallas. It gets tough uh, yeah. heading into February. But games, I think, are, are more spread out. Uh, we only have two back-to-backs in February. Um, and uh, those are a home and away against Colorado and Winnipeg and a away and home against Minnesota and uh, Detroit. So the schedule's going to lighten up from an intensity standpoint. Um, so like you said, we'll have to see how the team mm. performs. 
that will wrap us up. We do have a tweet of the week just quickly. I thought this was a nice, nice pithy comment from <laughs> Steve Dangle of the Steve Dangle podcast. Uh, he said, you know who never quit on the halves? Uh, P.K. Subban. <laughs> uh, I like that because uh, we've we've made no effort to hide our uh, minor disdain for their GM and their whole philosophy. Um, <laughs> what they are, what Quebec stands yeah, for. And they're so, I mean, they're so up and down and they're so not good this year. And and just the idea that they always scapegoated P.K. Subban. I mean, let that be a lesson to those of you who want to pick a player and be like, you know, and none of us, I mean, mm-hmm. but even when you want to be like, okay, Vladimir Tarasenko is the problem. It's like, no. P.K. Subban wasn't, Tarasenko isn't. So, uh, but no, that was a fun comment. Uh, we will be back next week, I assume, um, <laughs> with uh, the three games to cover and uh, I'm sure more things that will pop up. Yeah, we inch closer and closer to the trade deadline. Yes, and we will probably in the next few weeks do maybe a special oh, episode sure. about what we expect maybe different teams needs and mm-hmm. uh who might move and then we'll probably also do a special one when the trade deadline actually happens and discuss what did happen so uh we'll keep you all posted on that through twitter and wherever uh until we meet again good night see ya